This podcast is part of the Deluxe Edition Network. To find other great shows on the network, head over to deluxeeditionnetwork.com. That's deluxeeditionnetwork.com. When there is blame, there's no reason to change. Hey everybody, welcome to Crime Over Cocktails. I'm Tiffany, your host, and today I'm with my guest, Paul. Hi, Tiffany. Thanks for letting me on your show. Appreciate this. Of course. So, Tiffany, I, I think I mentioned to, to you that I'd, I'd been raised in abuse, but I want to back up just a little bit more because I think that people need to understand that this is maybe something that's not, uh, it's not a, a solo thing that happens. It's not isolated events. It's something that may be passed down through generations. And I think that that, for me, is what has happened. I want to just go back to my grandfather. My grandfather was born in Indiana. In Indiana, he had nine children. With the birth of the ninth child, something happened that his wife got sick or passed away, possibly because of the childbirth, but she just passed away. He was so distraught at the time that what he decided to do was sell the farm, sell all the equipment, and do it at an auction. When people came to the auction, he asked them, would you also like a child? And one by one, he gave away all the children except one. Oh, my then gosh. He was so distraught about that. He took Benjamin, the, the child he took with him, to Montana, found another woman, which is my grandmother, and married her, had 10 more children with that woman, of which my father is number six. So my father was 10 years old when this grandfather passed away. So Tiffany, you can imagine, here's 19 children that have abandonment issues, and they have other issues because this of this grandfather. And that could have been the start of many things. Obviously, with without the income from a the breadwinner of the household, without that income, there could have been financial stress. There could have been a lot of other stresses that were compounded just because of, of the actions of this of this grandfather. Pass that on to my family. I'm number 10 of 11 children. So we're just a, a family of bi- families. And, and I'm, I, I like to call myself the tithing child. Number, I'm the 10th. But uh, this, this, kept on. And and so I was raised in an abusive environment. It was not a very fun environment. There were financial problems. There were other problems, but mostly mostly physical, sexual, any other kind of abuse you can think of, emotional, economic. There's just a lot of abuses that happened in that time frame. You To get out of child abuse, you have to just grow up and move away. So I left when I was 17 years old, got out of the situation, removed myself after my junior year in high school. Didn't even want to spend my senior year, which is usually the best year of high school. Didn't even want to spend it in the same town. And so I moved away. I moved in with my brother. And uh, from that time frame, I started thinking, 
I had a horrible childhood. I tried to look for better examples of parenting, better examples of fatherhood, better examples in every other way. I started blaming my father for any relationships that I had that went south, any relationships that I had that it turned sour or I became angry. And to me, Tiffany, what was most residual from that whole childhood experience was the anger. How do I get rid of this anger? So I got to the point where I'd be annoyed, and then I'd be annoyed again, then I'd be annoyed again, and then I'd be annoyed again, and then I'd flare, I'd flash, and then you get to the flash point, and then you go back down, and then it starts over again. It's just that cycle of being annoyed, 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 flash, and it just piles, parlays itself one on top of another until that flash. At about age 35, I I realized that, you know what? I'm responsible for my own relationships. Age 35, I'm well into adulthood. I'm responsible. It was almost, it was more than half of my life I'd been away from home. I'm still blaming my father, but I finally took responsibility. More than half my lifetime away from my father, I'm still blaming him. He passed away seven years earlier. So he's dead. I've been half my lifetime away from him. I'm still blaming him. When there's blame, there's no need to change. You already have a scapegoat. You can already kick the dog. You're already putting the blame of something, your problem, putting it on somebody else. There's no need to change. Absolutely no need to change. So it's almost like a false atonement if, if people are religious. It's, it's something that you don't have to worry about it. The burden's off your shoulders when you blame someone else. So that's kind of where I was at age 35. Thought that taking responsibility would help, and it helped quite a bit. Quite a bit until about 15 years ago I was dating, and it was a neighbor of my sister. I had been divorced for a few years, probably three or four years, and my sister thought I was really lonely. Prior to this, I'd been doing destination dating, kind of a midlife crisis at the time. Destination dating, meaning I lived in one city, she lives in a different city. We chose a city to meet in, and we had a date. So having a great time, I'd have those dates on the weekends I didn't have the children. So it was just fun, just really a fun time. I spent more than $10,000, went to I was living in in South Carolina at the time, went to Jacksonville, Florida, Daytona Beach, Florida, Atlanta, Georgia, Columbia, South Carolina, Charlotte, North Carolina, New York City, Nashville, Kansas City, Phoenix, Salt Lake City, Snowflake, Arizona, Cabo San Lucas, and Las Vegas. All those places and, and more, I went on destination dates. It was fabulous. It was such a fun Travel. Here I am. Everybody wants to grow up to travel. Here I was traveling, not finding love. So I'm in Arizona at the time. My sister thinks I'm lonely. She has a neighbor and she lives in in, um, Santa Clara, Utah, which is just two hours north of Las Vegas. So still in the hot area, very southern Utah. And she says she's got this neighbor and she's an older sister. And I said, just come off of a year and a half of destination dating. I don't want to do it again. We're seven hours away. I don't want to do it. And she says, oh, come on. And you got to do what big sister says. So I said, okay. 
So we started corresponding with this neighbor and got to the point that it was time to meet and and just kind of started falling in love. We liked each other quite a bit. Now I take this woman up to meet Big Brother, 300 miles north. So we go up there. First thing that happens is my sister-in-law pulls her aside and says, the only emotion that the Zolman family learned growing up is anger. At first I denied it. I said, uh-uh. And then it made me mad. <laughs> I thought, huh, maybe she's right. So from that time, I thought this is a perfect opportunity to change the whole course of ancestry, change the course of tradition, just change the the stigma that the Zolman name had. So I started reading the color code and I started reading the five love languages. So in reading the five love languages, I really liked the principles of the five love language. I did not like the application. You mean, Dr. Chapman, that I'm supposed to guess what Tiffany's love language is and cater to Tiffany? I grew up in in abuse, but that, and I know that wasn't love, but catering, that doesn't sound like love either. And I'm a bad guesser. I'm a really bad guesser. That didn't work for me. So the second application Dr. Chapman has, he said, well, if you take this survey, then I can find out what my love language is. Then what? Oh, advertise? Hello, Tiffany, I'm Gifts. What do you have for me today? That is so awkward. And I that didn't work either. I was at a loss. In fact, after reading the book for four or five times, I could not tell you what the five love languages were. If, if you were to ask me after reading all that reading, what are the five love languages? I might name one or two, but I could not tell you all of them. So that didn't work either. I thought, how am I going to learn this? So I thought, I don't know. I liked games when I was a kid. Maybe I can make it a game. So I contacted Dr. Chapman and I said, are you licensing those little icons you have for each one of the love languages? The attorney sent me a letter back, said, no, we're not doing that right now. I said, oh, thank you. They're really ugly. They're from 1990. I just didn't like them anyway. So I went to a copyright attorney here in my town, and he said, theory, or the theory of the love languages, theory is not copyrightable. Application is. So making it a game, I made my own icons and made it a game. So I own the copyright. I own the trademark for the game. The game's really, really simple. It's a dice that I created. You can see it has the love languages on it. Those are the words. There's time, service, there's gifts, and there's touch. That's so cool. Five love languages, six sides on the dice. On the sixth side, I put thought a lot about it, and I put surprise me. So there's just, just two instructions. You roll the die every day. That's the love language you practice all day that day. Now, keep in mind, Tiffany, I'm single at the time. I don't have a significant other to share this with. So, Dr. Chapman, again, if I had a significant other, then I might be able to practice love languages, but I don't have anybody, and I can't guess what they are. What this did for me is is helped me figure out, well, let's think about this. If I want people to love me, what am I supposed to do? And, and if I tell people how to love me, on an inadvertently, I'm sure Dr. Chapman didn't attend this this way, but he, he said, well, I told you how to love me. Why come you're not doing it? And it develops this, this little pity party that 
I didn't want to go there. Who wants to go there? Nobody wants that whiny voice. So that didn't work. And so, so I thought, this has to be directional. What do I have power over? What do I have control over? And the only thing I came up with is that I have control over giving it away, sending it out, and responding when it comes my way. Most people reading the five love languages, and even if they haven't read it, they have a primary love language. I agree with Dr. Chapman in that, in that way. They have a primary love language, but they send out that primary love language hoping for reciprocation. This isn't like that at all. You're sending it out without any expectation of it coming back, but trusting and having faith that you send it out, the boomerang's going to come back. Take, for example, the opposite. If you send out anger, you can expect it's coming right back, right back. Immediate return on that investment. Love takes a little, little bit longer, and it may it may not come back in the way you expect it. So you send it out, and when you send it out, depending on what it is on that particular day, you send it out and you watch for people to light up. When they light up, that's what they like. You just take a mental note. You don't have to put a survey in front of them and say, could you take this survey so I know how to love you? I mean, it's just you don't have to awkward, eh? A little it's, bit. Yeah, it's a lot. A lot just let me love you. <laughs> so, so you send it out. You, you give the love away. Whatever you're focused on on that day, you're watching for people that light up. You're taking mental notes. Oh, that's what they like. And then you wash, rinse, repeat. Just do it over and over again. That's what it's all about. That's how you discover what love language they are. Second thing that happens is that after sending it out for a 30-day period at least, you know all five love languages by sending it out. You know how to give it away. You know what it looks like to give it away. You become what I like to call a love language linguist. Sexy title? I know you want that, Tiffany. And maybe, maybe the listeners want that sexy title too. Just think of it. Put it on your resume. You go to that employer and they say, what the heck is a love language linguist? And you're going to say, oh, I just love people. That employer wants their customers loved, and they want a loving environment in the workplace. Your resume is going to rise to the top. So the second thing that does for you is that you become so familiar with the love languages by giving it away, it improves your peripheral vision so that not only do you see your own primary love language when it comes to you, you see all the other love languages. If it's not your primary love language, you can say, oh, I see they're loving on me. And you can respond in, in kind. You can tell that they're loving on you and respond appropriately. It really improves your vision, the peripheral vision that way, so that you can see it when it comes your way. I so, love it. <laughs> well, it's it's been so much fun. And you, you know, I don't know if you do yoga, Tiffany, but many of the listeners might do yoga when you go to yoga, they put their hands together like they're praying like this. And what do they say? Namaste. Namaste. So namaste translated means the divine in me sees the divine in you. Or, I put it another way, the God in me sees the God in you. Literally translated. That's exactly what we're doing. So what we're trying to accomplish is a mindset here. We're trying to say, What's good about that person? What can I love about that person? 
rolling the die and practicing the, this, the role of love gives you that mindset and you will be so busy with this mindset saying what's right with that person, what can I love about that person, that you'll never go down that route that says, what's wrong with them? So you'll never go down that route. The Lord knows and the world knows we don't need one more critic in the world. Absolutely not. So I, I, like, to compare, I like to compare it to even a magnifying glass. Magnifying glass will make things bigger. When you magnify the faults of others, guess what? what's coming back at you? They're looking at your faults, and they're scrutinizing you, and they're micromanaging you, and you they're doing that to you. We don't want to do that. Who wants to send that out? But we inadvertently send it out. Hey, this is Casey Shearer. And this is Ray. Do you like pop culture? We're pretty sure you do. Then come on over and check us out at deluxeedition.show. You will not be sorry. Or maybe you will be. I don't know. I think the media trains us to look at the negative, look at the bad things. Love doesn't sell as well as um, avarice or vice or murder or anything or violence. Doesn't sell like it like that. So we focus on the positive and that becomes bigger. That's the part of people that we want to grow. We want their good side to grow bigger than their bad side overcome that bad side of us. So that's the whole idea of the role of love. I love it. I think it's a great idea because you are so right. The media just feeds off of hate and just misery. And you can't almost help but follow suit because you just see so much of it. It's pushed down your throat. We need to change that. Absolutely. So this is a the easy way to change it. I mean, there's a couple of ways that I, I would suggest that it be just kind of introduced to society. Podcasts, obviously, is a great way to do it. People listen to podcasts all the time. But in the schools, put this in the elementary schools. Because in the, I think it only will work in the elementary schools because most of those classes stay together all day. So what would what would happen is that teacher at the beginning of the day with the students, they roll the die. All the students are practicing that love language all day that day in school. At the end of the day, I developed a, a journal page. Journal page says, what did I roll that day? What opportunities did I see to love in that way that day? And then what did I do about those opportunities? So those students now become accountable. They're accountable for their actions all day long. It's not like the way I grew up not blaming someone else for my problems. They are responsible for their own actions for that day. So there's some incentive with it. Locally, I'm collaborating with a, a Yogurtland franchisee. And this Yogurtland franchisee has committed that if they'll write in a journal page like that for 25 days in a month, which is almost every every single school day, they'll do it for 25 days in a month He'll provide 10 ounces of yogurt to that to that student, a certificate or a little coupon for that. But if they still try and they only get 15 pages, he'll provide five ounces. So between 15 and 24 would be five ounces. They get to 25, they get 10 ounces. So it's, there's some incentive for the child to behave rather than misbehave, to be good rather than just try 
try evil tricks or do things that are bad or bullying or anything like that. And there's going to be that peer pressure that pressures people, and it's going to be good peer pressure, that will pressure them to do what the dice says, follow through. And I'd be interested, we're testing it in a school right now. It's a, a Lutheran private school that we're testing it with. And in that test, we're just asking the teachers, what in the classroom can these children do? What are some opportunities that they can um, express love in the love languages? Number one, it's going to get, it's going to teach the, these young children as young as a first grade or kin, even kindergarten because it has because it has pictures on it. You can see the pictures on it. There are no words. They'll remember the picture. It's more of a memory hook. It's a visual. They'll remember those pictures and remember what they're supposed to be doing all day long. For example, I had a family of five children, uh, the parents and five children. The youngest was a four-year-old. And one day, that four-year-old rolled physical touch. He's jumping up and down and pumping his fist and saying, yes, physical touch, physical touch. And immediately, he went to beat up on his brothers. Wrong touch. (laughs) Well, and the mother is trying to suppress all this laughter because, of course, that's physical touch. But it was became a teaching moment. That's what we're looking for in this school system is for those teaching moments for these children to understand what is appropriate love, what is just genuine kindness, what is just a, a human kindness to another individual. What can they do in that way? And that's what this is all about. It's not about any sexual harassment. It's not about anything like that at all. It's about getting back to the basic of what really love is. It's caring for another human being. It's addicting, Tiffany. When you see people light up, it's almost a a drug. The dopamine starts going in you. You've lifted them up. You may be able to recognize something that they've never recognized in themselves before. And if you talk about that, what they've rec- what they're not recognizing, they'll say, "Oh, yeah, maybe so. Maybe that maybe I am a little bit better than that than I thought." You might make their day just with a just with a kind word or just a compliment, anything that might make their day, whatever lights them up. If you help them light up, that becomes the task. No longer is it about you, Tiffany. No longer is it about me. I'm sorry. I mean, some people just really feel sad about that, but it's about them. It's always about them. So we, we've we're training a, a society or a generation of narcissists, people that think it's only about me. It's all about me, and and let's move away from that. It's about them. It's all about them and about their happiness and about helping other people have a happy day. And that's that's kind of where we're going with it for right now. I think it's a great idea and. You know, so many kids, that's where it all starts. And you're right. If we can get to them before they cross over to that dark side, then we have such a better chance of having a better society. I mean, hurt people hurt people. Mm-hmm. It's just that's that's how it goes. So by actually showing the love, the appreciation, values and stuff that they might not be getting at home somewhere else to show them that, you know what, things can be different. I think this could help a lot of lives. And, and that's interesting that I say hurt people hurt people. You've just, just like I showed in the beginning, you've got to break that cycle from the generational abuse that's been handed down. And it's almost as if 
inadvertently, but it's definitely, I was trained as an abuser. I was trained to abuse others because I was abused. And it, we're being trained, we're, we're almost a generation of trained abusers, trained, trained for rage. We're trained for becoming angry at the flash, trained for being annoyed. We're trained for yelling at drivers that we think we're the best driver ever, and they're not. We're trained to do all of that right now. And so this is to turn back that tide and just allow latitude to people for making mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. They didn't put on their turn signal or whatever. People make mistakes. And when they make a mistake, allow them some, some slack. And focus on those things that are right again about that person. Quit focusing on the mistakes. It's not about it's not about their mistakes. If you want to focus on mistakes, guess what? Those are growing up. Those mistakes are going to be bigger. And, and stop it. Just quit. You've got to stop it. You have to make mistakes if you want to grow. There's mm-hmm. no other way to do it. I mean, especially like you're scared to play volleyball. We'll go with that. I don't know. <laughs> and, you know, you're just so scared. You're going to get hurt. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. You're going to look like a fool. Well, if you don't even try, you've already failed. I found myself as a father and, and continue with the big families. I had eight children. so I was going to ask you. <laughs> I read your mind on that one. So, so having eight children, I found myself in the early years that I thought that, that the children should understand how to do it because they'd seen me do it. I thought they'd understand how to do it right the first time. And I and I didn't give a lot of latitude just because of my background and upbringing. There wasn't a lot of latitude. Of, oh, this is their first time. They, they did, it, did it okay. They just didn't do it exactly right. And I, I found that, that I could have been a whole lot better, that I could have allowed that learning, allowed that growth. I could have been a better teacher in that way, more kind. As I've gone through my own life and gone through work and bosses and that sort of thing, I actually saw several several men and several women that were very kind, very kind in the workplace, very kind in, in any other circumstance. Those are the people that actually became mentors that became like my best friends for that time period. They were They were the people I wanted to remember and wanted to forget, the people that caused pain or the people that would inflict pain. You just want to forget those type of people. But the people that were so kind are the ones that you'll want to remember and want to emulate them. You want to be like them. Kind of reminds me of those commercials where like one person will open a door for someone and then like that person notices it and then they either do the same or they help a lady across the street and then somebody watches that and then they do so, you know, like it really can be just that easy. That's right. It's a pay it forward mentality rather than the the slug in the arm and or the slug in the shoulder and say, pass it on like you did in the lunch line or whatever in school. I, I remember those days. It was just and sometimes it hurt. And if you didn't pass it on, you get more. You get more until you pass it on. And so, I mean, it was just we've got, there's a better way. There's just a better way. A better mindset. This will this will moved me from a mindset of anger, a mindset of annoyance, a mindset of uh, when you get annoyed or when you get angry. It's because 
you're looking at yourself. You're thinking about yourself. So for those people that might be wonder, how do you get from being angry or feeling that way? How do you get to, to a loving? You got to forget about yourself. You really have to say, stop getting angry. Stop being annoyed and just start giving, start sending out love. And just remember, it's about them. It's never about you. It's not about you at all. Just trust, all right. trust it's coming back. I call it the gimme, gimme, gimme. Yeah, or the, <laughs> or the me, 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 yeah. Yeah. Now we have enough narcissists in this world. We don't need any more. <laughs> exactly, yeah. That's exactly right. I love it. I love what you've done. Where can people find this? The best way to find it is on my website. It's Roll of Love. Remember, R-O-L-L is outside of you. This is to change you inside. So I spell it R-O-L-E, rolloflove.com. You'll you'll be able to find the book, the journal, and the die. You can buy the whole package uh, for 30 bucks and it's uh, plus the shipping. Or or another place, if if you're listening to this podcast, you may be an audible person. You may might like it in in an audible version, which it's on Amazon. If you if you just go to go to Amazon and put in my name, if you put in "Roll of Love" or "Love Any Anything," you're gonna get a million hits about love. Everybody has something that they've written about love. So put in my name; it'll take you right to it, and you'll be able to to purchase the audible um, off of Amazon as well. How do you roll on the Audible? <laughs> That's a very good question. If, if you if they'll follow on Instagram, you know, I've got an Instagram uh, social media manager that actually puts a roll of the day out there. Um, so it's not really, you don't really get to roll yourself. The computer will roll for you, and you can use that if you're too cheap that you can't buy a die. They're, they're very inexpensive. This is a whole lot, Tiffany, it's a whole lot less than than a, even one session at a therapist. A whole lot. Or bail money. Or <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. That, that, and that kind of takes us to the crime over cocktails, right? Any bail. Yeah. That's right. So it's a whole lot cheaper. In fact, uh, if you'll invest in yourself and do this for yourself, you're gonna you're gonna have a better experience with the die in hand. The die are really really kind of uh, special too. They're all handcrafted. They're just all etched by hand, and it's by artisans that are in Poland. As I shopped around for for a dice manufacturer, found that if I had it produced in Poland, shipped here, and paid the tariffs and everything, it's still one third of the cost of any dice manufacturer in America. So they're high quality. Polish are known for their art, their craftsmanship on the on the ceramics, and and it's uh, not a ceramic, but it's pretty close to that type of material. It'll last a long time. I've got one that I've had in my pocket for almost seven years now, and it's it, you can still tell what the icons are. You can still tell it's it's a little rough, but it's, you can still know what what it is when you're rolling it. So I keep it in my pocket all the time. In case I forgot to roll, or in case someone else wants to wants to roll, they want to get in in the act of loving as well. So I think that um, just I don't know if you're wrapping it up, but one last thing that I might want to thing that I want to say, Tiffany, is that the, my discovery of of where I was at 
it kind of came to me the other day when I was out for a walk. When I was out for a walk, I picked up a stick. It's kind of a walking stick. On one side of it's very smooth. On the other side, it has some where there may have been a twig or something. And it's, I call this side the naughty side. So it's naughty and nice. I'm sure Santa Claus has a stick just like that. I bet he does. <laughs> when you see a spectrum like that, one side being naughty, the other side being nice, you'll notice that that on the naughty side of the spectrum, I would categorize anger. When my sister-in-law defined the Zolman family as being angry, I found where I was on that spectrum. I was on the naughty side of the spectrum. I was in anger. It has all the vocabulary, all the mannerisms, the yelling, the screaming, all all the the ways we interact, the other abuses that are sent out. There's 14 or more general abuses that can be done on that angry side of the, the stick. That has its own, own vocabulary, just, just its own culture, so to speak. The nice side of the stick, I put love. So from I found I was closer to that naughty side of the stick. <clears throat> Once I found that out or realized it, I had three choices. I could stay the same. I could go to the left or I could go to the right. And I chose that I wanted to learn more about the love and, and the subset and the culture of what, what love was all about. I wanted to learn the language of love, the languages of love. I wanted to learn the vocabulary of love. I wanted to learn what the mannerisms of, of love were, the opening the door, the kindnesses, and how to send that out. So in studying this, it, it may be awkward for those that are not there right now, maybe awkward at first. But I suggest that you just keep trying. Keep trying to send that out. The drug of choice is when you light people up. That is going to give you satisfaction that you can't get anywhere else. When you've made somebody's day, it's it's going to be a great day for you as well. You're going to feel that, that you've done something good in that day better than any other day. Totally agree with that. Anytime I do something, make somebody smile, you know, it just makes you feel good. It's that feel good juice. Absolutely. That's the dopamine everybody wants. It's a drug of choice and it's uh, it's totally legal. Yes. <laughs> and I can say my personal experience, I get that whole, the generational trauma because mm-hmm. my family has dealt with that. And so, you know, you got to work through that and you got to realize that you don't want to be like those people. And it's possible. It really is. Sometimes you'll stop yourself in the middle of doing something and it's like, oh, no, 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 no. (laughs) We're we're not going to do that. We're not going to say that. And then you learn to step back. And I think it's so important. So important. Absolutely. Totally agree with Tiffany, and and I think that you you had mentioned that you had had similar experiences. So, so I think you really know. You absolutely know, and you understand where I'm coming from. And it's just it's time to stop. It really is. I mean, take a look at what's happening in the world or what the media chooses to report. They only report the bad things, and there seems it seems like if they're only reporting that, there must be a lot of that out there. And I think there is more than we care to have out there. Probably not a lot in comparison to all the good that's going on, but who wants to report good or who's going to buy good news if it was out there? 
So even at that, even if it's only a fraction of what's really out there and it's all bad that the media is reporting, we still need to take care of that. We still need to have a remedy for that and have a place for those people that are stuck, as you and I were, that are stuck in that, that uh, the mental synapses that uh, have been routinely worked over and over and over again, the same thought processes that take us from zero to 60 in five seconds. Those thought processes need to be revolutionized that we stop, put the brakes on, and think the good thoughts rather than and then it's all about me and I'm going to get angry and, and quit planning to be mad. I know some people that say, if that happens, I'm going to be so mad, like they're planning to be a mad. Why do they do that? You don't know anybody like that, do you, Tiffany? <laughs> oh, no, not at all. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I must have hit a, hit a chord there. <laughs> no, I mean, you work with people. And I mean, that's stuff that people say all the time. And you're right. It's like they're waiting for the worst to happen. It's that's like, right. well, why don't we stop it like right there and stop sending out that negativity? Change your vibrations. <laughs> yeah. Why don't you plan? I'm going to be so happy when this happens. And then just just start saying that. I'm going to be so happy when you graduate from high school. I'm going to be so happy when you learn how to drive. I'm not going to be the taxi driver anymore. I'm going to be so happy when you learn how to walk. I'm going to be so happy when you learn how to, to go to the bathroom on your own. I'm going to be so happy. Whatever the task is, plan for happiness. Plan to be happy. Plan to do those those things. Plan to be just plan to light up. One more story, if you will. I've got, you know, there there are nemesis out there, and and to me, a, a nemesis would be like the IRS because I was brought up in, in such a, an atmosphere. When I took the test for interest tests, I I said, you know, I was right. Keep the rules, and and you'll keep out of trouble, type thing. So when I take the interest test, they're saying, you'd be a perfect IRS agent. I said, uh-uh, I do not even want to go there. So the IRS could be a nemesis for, for a lot of people. And so I had a letter that came to me probably about six months ago. It was a letter from the state tax commission saying I owed them $2,500 for, for sales tax. I said, mm, I don't think so. And it was for a corporation that was dormant, wasn't doing anything. And so I called him up, and I get the lady on the phone. She introduces herself as Katya. I said, that is such a funny name. And I said, that is absolutely a perfect name for what you do. Katya. I caught you. <laughs> and, and, and by saying that, no one had ever recognized that for that person. No one had ever said that to her. She busted up laughing like crazy, thinking, I am perfect for this job. And I'm sure it made her day. But what was best of all, just that little humor and that little kindness that I extended, erased the tax bill. She closed down that corporation, which was dormant, which I didn't want. I, I didn't want it open anyway. She closed it down. I won't get any more tax bills from her. Just have a little kindness and watch what happens and have a little bit of humor. Caught you. You know, she just laughed like crazy. So anyway, so much fun. Thank you, Tiffany. That was fun. Thank you, Tiffany. Thanks for the invitation. 
If you know somebody, maybe a teacher or somebody who could benefit from the role of love, then make sure to check that out either on his website or at Amazon. Don't forget the podcast of the month, and that is Quad Pro Quo, which is all about movies. From the bottom of my heart, I really just want to thank all of you guys for listening. You could listen to any podcast and you still listen to mine. And that means a lot more than you think. It's because of you, I keep going. Make sure that you are liking, following, subscribing, leave a five-star review. Both websites to my nonprofit, The Crime Connection Incorporated, and for the podcast, Crime Over Cocktails, is in the show notes. You can get to every social media platform from that page, or just Google me. I'm everywhere now. All right, you guys, we'll talk crime another time. Bye.